Hello and welcome back to Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon. Great to have you with us as we return after a brief one-week hiatus. I enjoyed my Vegas vacation and somehow managed to come home with more betting cash than I left with, and it seems I picked an ideal time to take a week off as we had a bit of an odd situation last week with the betting lines not being released until Thursday, which thankfully did not repeat itself this week. Lots to tackle in today's program, and before we dive into that, I'll remind you that you can get in touch by following me on Twitter at kdrive88, that's K-D-R-I-V-E-8-8, or visiting the website firstlinepicks.com. All questions, comments, and feedback, positive or negative, is always welcome, so drop me a line anytime. Okay, there's been quite the flurry of recent activity the last few days as we hit approximately one quarter of the way through the season. So what I'm going to do this week is take a bit of a broader look at the performances and trends we've seen out of the nine clubs so far, what changes may be taking place, and how that will tie into this week's lines. Thursday Night Football, as usual, will begin Week 6, and this week's game will feature the 2-2 Calgary Stampeders hosting the winless 0-4 Toronto Argonauts at McMahon Stadium. As you might expect, the defending champs have opened as double-digit favourites at minus 10.5, and this line has already started moving in favor of the home side, now listing at minus 12. Obviously, the Argonauts have been a disaster in pretty much every area of the field so far, so it's not surprising to see the early money coming in on Calgary. Is there any reason to think the Argos managed to keep this thing respectable? I guess if there's anything the Argos can try to build off of coming into this game, it's that McLeod Bethel-Thompson was able to hook up with Darrell Walker on a few deeper throws last game, and Walker definitely needs to feature more prominently in this offense moving forward. That said, a lot of those connections came against a Winnipeg defense that had probably taken their foot off the gas a little after jumping out to a 31-0 lead in the second quarter. By and large, this Toronto offense has been a complete disappointment so far, and while it's easy to point the finger at substandard quarterback play, I don't think offensive coordinator Jacques Chapdelaine has done Bethel Thompson or James Franklin before him any favors at all on the sidelines. This was a team that had more running backs than you could shake a stick at during training camp, and it's really shocking to me how little of an impact this Toronto running game has had so far. Some of that can be chalked up to falling behind by multiple scores early in football games, but an early deficit, even a big one, isn't grounds for shelving the run if you were expecting it to be a part of your offense. Tyrell Sutton is gone before ever seeing game action, so it's going to be James Wilder and Brandon Burks going forward, and I was glad to see the latter get some touches last week. Toronto needs to find a spark, and so far Wilder on his own hasn't been able to provide one, though he needs to see more of the ball, period. But the biggest problem I see with the Toronto offense is the passiveness of the route running underneath. Bethel Thompson has not hesitated to check down when his first read isn't available, but it seems every ball is being thrown to stationary targets. These would be great plays in American football, but unfortunately a four-yard pass on second and seven doesn't get the job done in this country. Toronto needs to get more going on between the hash marks as well and send fewer balls across the flat where receivers are forced to come back to them. I have to say, Chapdelaine is another one of these guys who's been around the CFL a long time and had blips of success here and there, but he's never really impressed me with the schemes he runs. And certainly the task will not get any easier this week as the Argos offense has to go up against an invigorated Stampeders front seven and the CFL's newest superstar in defensive back Trey Roberson, already with five interceptions in just four games. The Stampeders have been pretty much the opposite of what I was expecting coming into this season, 
as their defense has been very solid despite so many new faces, while the offense has been surprisingly ordinary and downright poor at times, but nonetheless has found ways to manufacture points at key times. It looked like Calgary had finally got their ground game on track against Saskatchewan a couple weeks ago, especially after going to Kadeem Carey. I'm not really sure why they didn't attempt to establish it again against Hamilton last week, but they did grade successful 60% of the time they did run. Going up against an Argos front that has been consistently beaten up along the ground, it seems inevitable that Carey and Terry Williams will likely be a bigger part of the offense this week. If Calgary isn't scoring points on offense, special teams is always an option to provide a score. The aforementioned Carey blocked a punt against Hamilton and took it to the house, and Williams is a very dangerous return man. Considering the Bombers just embarrassed this Argos unit with what was essentially back-to-back house calls last Friday, I would expect the Argos special teams coordinator might be putting in a couple extra hours at the office this week to try to figure out how to contain Calgary's return game. Of course, Toronto wasn't the only team to give up two returns for majors last week, as Calgary themselves had an uncharacteristically poor outing on specials, giving up a kickoff and a missed field goal return. Nick Arbuckle will be under center again this week for Calgary as Bo Levi Mitchell remains sidelined. So far, I think Calgary has probably gotten everything out of Arbuckle that they could have hoped for. He missed a few balls last week, but his receivers also dropped several, and this led to Calgary grading successful on less than 50% of pass plays for the second consecutive week. It'll be interesting to see how anxious they are to get after this Toronto secondary that's had its share of struggles. Things do seem to be coming together somewhat in the defensive backfield, with three consecutive games of statistical improvement, but I still wouldn't hesitate to test these guys when the opportunity knocks. The Argonauts will be tasked with breaking through a Calgary defense that has run a very balanced scheme so far, defending reasonably well against both run and pass. The defensive line has come together nicely, with veteran Cordero Law leading the charge with four sacks in his last two games. I've been particularly impressed with the play of Corey Greenwood at middle linebacker so far. This was one of the bigger question marks on this unit coming into the year, and Greenwood has looked very good as a run stopper and shows a great awareness on the field. I'm not entirely sure what the Argonauts need to do to get things on track against the Stamps, but it's clear that they need to change up what they have been doing for the first four games. I wasn't exactly inspired by Corey Chamberlain's post-game comments after the Winnipeg beatdown, though. What a coach says in public and what he actually thinks or says in private aren't always the same thing. But I got the vibe that Chamberlain saw enough good things in the second half against the Bombers that he's comfortable moving forward with the same approach and just hoping for better execution. On the defensive side of the ball, it's not an unreasonable idea, but I think the burst of points the offense had in the second half was more fool's gold than it was a sign that things had suddenly clicked. Ten and a half is a big number, but it's actually a bit short of where I had it, and I believe the market has moved the right way so far in pushing it to minus 12. The uncertainty of this lukewarm Stampeders offense going up against a defense whose underlying numbers are improving is cause for second thoughts, but the overriding factor to me is that I just don't envision Toronto moving the ball against that defense with Chapdelaine's vanilla play calling. I think the Argos are a pretty good bet to be held under 20 on offense, and the special teams edge that Calgary should have is going to create good starting field position for Arbuckle in the offense. I like under 53.5 here, and would probably play it to 52 based mainly on what I expect to be a pretty small Toronto output. The threat of a return or a pick six is high in a game involving the Stamps, but if the defense maintains recent form, there should be some breathing room. The second game on our schedule this week will be the second meeting in the last three weeks between the Ottawa Red Blacks and the host Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and boy what a difference two weeks can make. 
The Red Blacks were favored by a field goal the last time these two teams kicked off, but this time around it's the Bombers' as heavy chalk, this line opening at minus 9.5 and, and now creeping up to 10. Winnipeg, of course, won that matchup two weeks ago in fairly convincing fashion before going on to throttle the Argos last week and move to 4-0. The Red Blacks have stumbled after a hot start and now sit at 2-2 two two after being surprised at home by the Alouettes last week. The biggest news coming into this game is no doubt Ottawa's change at quarterback, as Rick Campbell will turn to Jonathan Jennings after announcing that Dominic Davis isn't healthy enough to start this week. This will be the first action for Jennings since last season, which was a struggle for him. I don't mind this move though on some levels. It could send a wake-up call to an offense that has struggled in more areas than one the last two weeks. And Campbell has maintained since camp that he feels the team can win with either guy. Of course he's not going to say otherwise, but this does have the feel of a team that was genuinely prepared if they needed to make a move, be it due to injury or otherwise. Jennings is probably a little more of a threat to run than Davis was, but aside from ball protection where Davis has had issues, I'm not really sure he's going to provide anything that Davis wasn't. To my eye, Ottawa's limited amount of talent on the offensive side of the ball is starting to catch up with them. I didn't love that Moses Madu was more or less given the starting running back job by acclamation back in camp, and I haven't seen anything yet to convince me he's a long-term option as a feature back. He's a guy that you can count on to hammer out necessary gains in short-yarded situations, but he hasn't shown the ability to hit the second level. Ottawa did a reasonably good job of avoiding second and longs against Montreal last week, but they also created very few second and short situations and didn't convert many first downs with explosive plays. Dominique Rimes hasn't done much since his big outing against Saskatchewan, and R.J. Harris is the only real threat to stretch the field right now, and teams can key on him. I did really like what John Crockett did in the second half against Montreal when he got subbed in for Madu. I think he has a little more shiftiness and was able to make a few guys miss. It sounds like Crockett is going to get the start on Friday, and we'll see if he adds a new dynamic out of the backfield, as I suspect he might. Winnipeg has been strong against the run up to this point, and Ottawa didn't really bother to test them in the previous matchup, with a season-low seven rushing attempts, and none of any consequence. Given that Adam Bighill sat that game out injured, I was pretty surprised that Winston October didn't make more of an effort to get the ground game on track. They're going to need some decent runs on first down in this game to avoid known passing situations on second down. This Bombers defense is one of the top units in the league right now, and they've eaten teams up on second down passing attempts, successfully defensing over 60% so far this year, which is second only to Edmonton and well ahead of anybody else. You've got to love defensive coordinator Richie Hall coming out this week and saying he wasn't pleased with their performance against Toronto, though. If this group comes out motivated to pick it up a notch this week, Jennings is going to have a long night. One issue Winnipeg might be dealing with on defense this week is injuries, but Mike O'Shea was pretty vague with the press at practice the other day regarding the status of several key players, Adam Big Hill, Craig Rowe, and Jeff Hecht among them. It's worth noting that Hecht exiting the game in the first half against Toronto coincided with the Argos picking up some bigger chunks through the air. Big Hill has missed the last two games, though the vibe was that he was held out last week mostly as a precaution, so I think there's a pretty good chance he plays this week. Rowe is probably a loss they can swallow given the depth on the defensive line, but Hecht has been a big piece of that secondary, so keep a close eye on his status. Offensively, the Bombers just keep rolling despite another game where the underlying offensive numbers really weren't anything special. But once again, it was the explosive plays that carried the day, and these aren't just 25-yard explosive plays, these are field-flipping plays that are putting majors on the board. 
Defenses are having serious problems dealing with the speed this offense has, and I'm not just talking the individual speed that guys like Lucky Whitehead and Nick Dembski are putting on display. The way this entire unit seemed to be hitting full speed the instant the ball was snapped was really impressive against Toronto, who just didn't have time to react to the sweeps and the hitch routes that the Bombers were running. That's really the way this Bombers offense has operated for their last three games. Obviously the big strikes are extremely efficient and put instant points on the board. My only concern would be that Winnipeg has been mostly ineffective through the air outside of those home run plays. But Matt Nichols has been quick to pull the pin and toss it away on plays where he may have forced balls in the past that ended up getting picked off. And that's a good sign for a quarterback that has had ball protection issues in the past. Mike O'Shea has continued to give Chris Streveler reps here and there throughout games, and of course he played a significant portion of the game two weeks ago. In a league where five of the other eight teams have already seen their opening day starting quarterback put on injured reserve, having a capable backup is imperative, and I like that O'Shea has made a point of keeping his backup engaged in the game so he's ready to take over if needed, as he's indeed had to in the last two games. Eventually the Bombers are going to have a game where a couple of those deep shots miss and they put up a dud, but I'm not convinced this Ottawa defense is the one to do it to them. After a nice season opener in Calgary, they've really trended in the wrong direction, and by the numbers, they've actually been the worst in the league since week two. If you want to call a good news from the Red Blacks' perspective, it sounds like return man Charles Nelson probably won't be available, and his partner in crime, Lucky Whitehead, also appears to be a little banged up, having missed practice on Tuesday. The Bombers have turned kick and punt returns into a legitimate weapon so far this year, and Whitehead is of course featured prominently in the offense as well. Till the injury situation becomes more clear, I'd be pretty leery of taking the Bombers laying double digits as this spread has moved to 10 now. I think this total, coming in at 55, has some more appeal to it. Winnipeg's defense is coming off a stretch of play where they went almost 12 quarters of game time without giving up a touchdown, which is almost unbelievable in this league. Toronto caught them on a couple of bombs last week, but I'm not putting a ton of stock into points conceded with a 30-odd point lead. There's a little reason to expect Ottawa to replicate that, especially with Jennings in his first action of the year. Unless they come up with a huge play on special teams or on defense, I'd be surprised if Ottawa hit 20 points in this game, and that makes under 55 fairly appealing to me. There's certainly a chance that Winnipeg hits on a couple home run plays, but even if they do, 35 points is a pretty big number to be able to withstand, assuming the defense holds up. I did see this number very briefly touch 56 after the open, but it has since gone the other way, sitting at 54.5 at a lot of books now, and I doubt we see it trend back upwards. Doubleheader Saturday will start with the second and final meeting of the season between the 3-1 Edmonton Eskimos and the suddenly surging 2-2 Montreal Alouettes, who continue to make headlines, be it for better or worse. New head coach Kahari Jones can now add the title of co-interim GM to his list of responsibilities after Kavis Reed was given the boot by the CFL on the weekend, for some rather interesting reasons. Attempting to circumvent the salary cap and making inappropriate expense claims is a rather bold move when working for a league-owned team that is going to be monitoring every dollar, but head-scratching moves from Kavis haven't exactly been uncommon over the years. As far as the team on the field is concerned, I think optimism is probably higher right now than it has been for about three years, so at least things are looking up in that department. Montreal has won two straight games as significant underdogs now, and the play of Vernon Adams and the way this offensive line has suddenly come together are two of the main reasons for that. Adams is a guy I had very low expectations for, and not somebody I saw stepping in and excelling the way he has after bouncing around the CFL for the last three years holding a clipboard. 
I've been impressed with both his decision-making and execution in the last two games, and right now Kahari Jones has a very balanced offense clicking through the air and along the ground. This offensive line got bulldozed in their first two games of the season, but they've rebounded in a big way. I still think pass protection is a work in progress, but the fast-developing plays and Adams' quick decision-making has alleviated this, and running back William Stanback is now finding holes that just weren't there at the start of the season. He's graded successful on nearly 60% of rushes over the past two games, and a handful of those runs have been huge gainers that can flip a field. And I have to mention the play of receiver Quan Bray, the rookie out of Auburn. This guy spent the first two weeks of the year on the practice roster, and I'd have to imagine that was mainly a case of taking a couple extra weeks to learn the Canadian game, rather than any reasons related to his ability, because he's quickly looking like the Owls' most talented receiver. This week is going to be a big test for this offense as Edmonton comes to town with a defense that's running hot right now and surrendered just a measly six points against the Lions last week. Trevor Harris and the Eskimo offense have been effective enough, but by and large it's been the defense that has been near perfect in their execution and really only undone at times by bad penalties. They did a good job of cleaning that up last week against the Lions and if they can maintain their level of discipline, they'll remain a difficult unit to move the ball against. What's perhaps most impressive is what defensive coordinator Philip Lawley has been able to get out of a unit that has seen a significant number of injuries right from the start of the season. Don Unamba and Anthony Orange were two big free agent signings that have barely played, but rookie Taekwon Glass has been a revelation in that secondary, and outside linebacker Vontae Diggs looks like a big win for the Eskimos scouting staff as well. The breakout performance of Nick Usher on the defensive line along with Kwaku Botang's rise to stardom has given Edmonton two formidable rush ends that teams have had a lot of problems dealing with, including the Owls themselves in a week one loss. Montreal did an excellent job of making adjustments heading into their second matchup with the Tiger Cats, whose defensive line had been all over them in the first meeting, so we'll see if they're able to repeat that in their second go-around with the Eskimos. It needs to be said that the only time this Edmonton defense really looked vulnerable at any point this year was in the fourth quarter of that initial meeting, when Vernon Adams entered the game and proceeded to put up 17 points on them in short order. What the Owls are able to get out of stand back on first downs is probably going to be the key determining factor in whether or not they can score enough points to win this football game, though. The Eskimos have absolutely buried the run this year, and this has led to a superb 63% overall success rate on second down passing situations. Montreal did an excellent job of limiting second and long situations against Ottawa, which was crucial in maintaining their run-pass balance. If they're not able to repeat this, it's going to make life very difficult against a defense that loves to blitz and has been highly effective in doing so up to this point. The second big adjustment that Montreal is going to have to make to avoid a second loss to Edmonton is their coverage in the middle third of the field. The Eskimos had an utterly ridiculous 27 pass plays that went for 10 or more yards in the first meeting, mainly thanks to quick hits up the middle of the field. This Owls defense has really come around in terms of pass defense since then, and held Ottawa to a sub-50% success rate. The Eskimos are coming off a game in BC where they actually struggled pretty significantly on first downs, with just a single pass play hitting for more than 10 yards. This could be cause for concern, but keep in mind they were coming off a bye week, and this merely continued the trend of offenses struggling badly in their first game after a two-week break, especially in the first half. I think a full week of practice and settling back into the routine is probably going to help, but one key injury suffered against BC is the loss of veteran offensive lineman Matt O'Donnell. O'Donnell is the leader of that line, and rookie Kyle Saxlid is going to have big shoes to fill in his absence. Edmonton has remained committed to the run game throughout their first four appearances, 
but they're going to need better production on first down than C.J. Gable gave them against B.C. Montreal has been flat-out terrible against the run for much of the first four games, and I see no reason why Edmonton would deviate from a run-heavy strategy. This line is opened at Edmonton minus 4 with a 54-point total, and a little early action on the Eskimos has seen it nudged to minus 4.5. I think this is maybe a touch short. I was expecting the Esk to be favored by closer to a touchdown, but on the flip side, they failed to cover minus 8 at home the first time these two teams met, and Montreal is playing better football at this point. I do think Edmonton is the right side in this one, though, and the old adage that defense travels is the overriding reason why. Out of all 18 offensive and defensive units in the league, I have the Eskimos defense rated number one coming into this week. Montreal has shown me enough to confirm that they're not going to be the free space on the bingo card this season, but I can't quite trust that offense yet going up against such an aggressive defense that will likely have Vernon Adams on the run on Saturday afternoon. On the total, I lean towards the under. Both offenses like to run, and neither are focused on the deep ball, which limits the chances for explosive plays. Neither kick-return unit is much of a threat to go the distance either, so one of those under-killing special teams touchdowns occurring seems unlikely. This could be one of those games where we see several punts from between the 40s as both offenses try to control the ball, and those typically lead to lower-scoring games. Week 6 finishes up in Regina on Saturday night, with two teams desperate for a win, they being the 1-3 Rough Riders and the 1-4 BC Lions. This will be the first half of a home-and-home -home series between the two teams. If BC hasn't been the biggest disappointment in the CFL so far this year, it's only because the Argonauts have managed to edge them out for that distinction. It's only fitting that the game between those two teams was decided by the always classic walk-off rouge in true CFL style. The Lions were a team that looked to maybe be turning the corner after their game in Calgary, despite the late collapse. They seem to have reverted back to the poor offensive habits that killed them in their first two games of the season. They've drifted away from the swing plays, screens, and quick outs that were getting the ball moving, and back to the deep ball that's caused them too many two and outs. Far too often on second and short or medium situations, we saw BC's offense fall prey to a blitz last week after they sent all their receivers out on deep patterns. The insistence on running long developing plays looking for the home run ball has grounded this offense, and it's puzzling to me that they would take this route against Edmonton again after it so thoroughly failed in week two. To me, this is starting to raise some serious questions about Mike Riley's willingness to properly integrate with the rest of his offense. I do believe BC has the pieces to be reasonably successful on offense, but they've been a lot less than the sum of their parts through the first five games of the year. All that has overshadowed a defense that has actually been playing some pretty decent football, grading over 50% successful in each of their last three games. They've been especially effective at stopping the run, and Jordan Herdman-Reed has done a really nice job there at the middle linebacker spot, but the constant two-and-outs from the offense are killing them and putting them in a lot of unfavorable spots. Saskatchewan's situation, despite them generally playing better than BC has, is not really any less dire. They need a win to keep in touch with the teams currently occupying playoff positions. They're coming off a bye week, and before that it was a disappointing home drubbing at the hands of Calgary, which saw Cody Fajardo's hot streak end with a thud. The offense wasn't able to stretch the field at all against the Stampeders, in a performance that was reminiscent of their season opener against Hamilton. Fajardo, and Isaac Harker who relieved him in the latter stages of the game, only connected on seven passes for more than ten yards, and William Powell found little success along the ground. The Stampeders' front seven had a field day against the Riders' wounded offensive line, getting consistent pressure throughout the night. 
The riders are now missing three bodies along the line, Brendan Labatt chief among them, and all three remain on the six-game injured list. I don't expect the Lions' front seven to be quite as aggressive as the Stampeders were, but I'm sure Devon Claybrooks was watching that game and will be drawing up some blitz packages for this week. The Riders might be getting Nick Marshall back in their secondary, but his status remains uncertain. It sounds like kicker Brett Lowther and receiver Manny Arsenal will be game-time decisions. Marshall is a key piece of that defense that had a poor outing against Calgary, but don't underestimate the importance of a healthy kicker either. The line for this game has seen the most movement so far, as the Riders opened at minus 2 and are already up to minus 5 after just a day and a half on the board. I'm not surprised in the least that betters have been all over Saskatchewan, given the recent performance of the Lions, but personally, I'm not actually as bullish on this as the general public seems to be. First thing that needs to be considered here is that Saskatchewan is coming off the bye week, and we've seen the detrimental effects of teams taking a week off, particularly on offense. Teams coming off a bye week are averaging less than 9 points scored in the first half of their first game back. Riders coach Craig Dickinson touched on this after practice on both Tuesday and today, openly admitting that his team didn't look sharp. I was also a little alarmed to hear him mention that the coaches are still spending more time than he'd like directing players on where to line up on certain reps. I certainly appreciate his candidness, and I suppose this might not be anything out of the ordinary, but it did strike me as a bit odd that guys apparently are still learning the playbook nearly two months after arriving at training camp. The second key point as it pertains to Saskatchewan offense has to be the condition of their offensive line. As mentioned, last time out was a struggle for them, and missing a week of practice would not have been ideal for a unit trying to integrate some new personnel into the starting set. The Riders like to run heavy on first down, but the last two weeks have been very ineffectual, as they've graded successful on just 8 of 26 attempts. They've been a lot better in shorter yardage situations, as you might well expect, the lack of push last game led to a season-high number of second-and-long situations, and the passing game struggled as a result. As I mentioned a moment ago, the Lions have been very effective run-stoppers, and if the Riders stick to running Powell between the tackles, I don't foresee a lot of success. You'll need to mix it up a bit. Contrary to popular opinion, I actually think this game could be BC's for the taking if they can get their own offense figured out. Saskatchewan's defense is yet to really resemble their 2018 form, and as much as I think Dickinson will be a good head coach, Chris Jones's loss is being felt on this side of the ball. With the pressure on the Lions and Mike Riley to get this figured out, I have to think they're going to adopt a better game plan to deal with the pass rush than they did last week. While Charleston Hughes and A.C. Leonard have run wild off the edge and have nine sacks between them, the Riders' defensive line has shown themselves to be vulnerable against the run at times. It's a big if, but if the Lions can get John White a good amount of touches, be they runs or screen plays, I do think they'll move the ball well enough to give themselves a good chance at upsetting the hometown riders. Trusting the Lions at this point takes a strong stomach, but as this line moves closer to a touchdown, I can't help but give them a serious look. The total, which opened 51.5, has also seen some movement down to 50.5. I definitely lean towards the under again in this game with two very questionable offenses involved, but if you weren't in on it at the opening bell, I'd caution against jumping in on a worse number. The 50-55 to 55 point range is key in the CFL, and even one point worth of movement in that area can change your outlook. So with all this said, I guess it's time again to decide which side or total you'd want on your ticket if your life depended on it. 
We've survived unscathed at 4-0 on the podcast to this point, though I must say this week is probably the toughest so far to try to find a sure thing, or at least what appears to be one in the world of CFL betting. In the course of recording this, the over-under in the Winnipeg game has just dipped two points, and I can't very well recommend a number that is no longer available. So I'll keep it close to home this week, home being the Edmonton area for me, and declare the Eskimos minus four and a half as the best bet still on the board. That will wrap up another edition of Third Down Gamble. I thank everyone who listened as always, and hope to have you again next week. Once again, follow me on Twitter at kdrive88 or visit firstlinepicks.com for the latest content and any comments, questions, or feedback you may have regarding the show, the CFL, or just betting in general. Best of luck with your wagering this weekend, my fellow degenerates. We'll talk again soon.